All right, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk Michigan Edition. It's Wednesday night. Jeff here. Dan, how are you, man? Uh, good to be back, buddy. What's up? Uh, nothing much. Uh, you know, obviously sitting at 2-0, and coming off a, a, I'm going to call it a big game, a big maze-out game at night at Michigan Stadium. I think Michigan, uh, they were finally able to do the maze-out well. I thought, for the most part, it looked uh, pretty good. Um, from the videos and the in the pictures that I've seen, and from just while I'm watching the game, it, it definitely seemed like it um, was a success. And I know years past we haven't had success with the maze out, but overall, what were your initial impressions of the maze out and the energy of the stadium? Well, um, I mean, obviously you and I were on the golf course uh, tailgating, watching it, whatever. But um, from what again, what we've seen and uh, and heard is the stadium was rocking. It was, uh, you know, pretty unique that finally uh, Michigan fans kind of really bought into the whole home field advantage thing. Obviously, uh, a lot has to do with just not being able to be at any games last year. So people are fiending, chomping at the bit to go to a a big house. And uh, they sure did their part. Um, You know, we had some friends go in the stadium while we stayed out. And uh, they said that was the loudest they ever heard it. I've actually heard it from multiple people after after the fact, people from Facebook posts and right. lots from Twitter. Um, lots of people have gone on record saying it's the last they've ever heard it. Right, and that, that's that's good to hear. I mean, now that you set the bar, you know, you got to bring it every week, even you know if it's Northern Illinois or Ohio State, you got to bring that energy. You know, noon, three thirty, eight o'clock game, you got to bring that every week. That's what makes. Uh, Happy Valley, that's what makes Camp Randall, that's what makes Columbus so uh, great with the atmosphere for that home field advantage. So just Michigan fans, if you go to the game, keep doing it. Yeah, I was impressed. I think it's something that, uh, as you said, we need to build off of this. This needs to be, I'm not saying that every single week you got to wear your Mays t-shirt and we got to play under the lights and we got to, you know. But we do have to start getting up for the games, and if the if it if it comes time to a third down, get on your feet, be loud, make it obnoxious, make the opponent fear Michigan Stadium. We've heard so many times that Michigan Stadium isn't a feared arena anymore, or a feared stadium anymore, and I think that there's momentum. Yeah, that's the best way I can say it. Oh, sure. Let's uh, let's go get right right into the game though. Michigan, Washington. Um, Michigan was favored, I think, by six and a half. And if you look at the score, Michigan wins 31-10 after leading 24-3 in the fourth quarter. They Each team punches one in the fourth quarter, though, and we get to 31-10. I think the story of the game was Michigan's run game. Uh, Michigan runs 56 times for 343 yards, four touchdowns. We'll get into the specifics here in a minute. Uh, Cade McNamara, seven for 15 for 44 yards, only 44 yards passing. And 33 of them came on one completion. With that said, before we go any farther, lots of people pissed off about the game plan. I don't understand how you can be. It's a six and a half point spread. You're favored to win by a score and you win by t- three scores. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll let you elaborate. What did you think about the, the game plan? What did you think about the limited passing? Are you concerned with it? I know a lot of Michigan fans were concerned. Um, obviously, I mean, even after the Western Michigan game, people have already been calling for J.J. McCarthy. And uh, they, a lot of them, from what I've spoken, you know, people I've spoken to and uh, the interwebs, it's like they think by, you know, Big Ten play that K. 
Keenan McNamara is going to be fading into the mist. And what I heard was kind of weird um, over the weekend or at work somewhere is, you know, Caden isn't, uh, oh, my neighbor. He said, Cade just stands there. He has, she shows no emotion. And I'm like, dude, obviously you just don't pay attention to the cat. But um, the game plan, it is what it is. I mean, Harbaugh, he had one of his Harbaugh type comments where he's talking about, you know, how you travel by air or some people travel by air. Some people travel by land. Um, if that's what their game plan was, was to shove it down their mouth. I mean, it worked. It couldn't really be stopped. Um, you know, we'll get into the key points in the game in a little bit, but I mean, there's one point where Michigan stuff got stuffed on the goal line, but, um, I mean, 343 on the ground. Um, when you can win without asking your quarterback to do too much, I'm okay with that because we've seen in the past when Michigan has to rely on the quarterback because they can't rely on the run game, then it has uh, a worse side effect. So, A. McNamara, 15 passes completed seven times. I mean, it is what it is. Um, And I'll get all, again, I'll get to it later on, but, you know, I would love to see, or I wanted to see more wide receiver uh, this week uh, when we had our last pot. But, again, can't complain with the W. Yeah, I think as I start to really think about it, I mean, first off, I'm never going to complain about a win. Unless it's a narrow win over a bad opponent, then I'll be like, okay, we should have been better. Most of the time, I'm not going to complain against a win, especially a night game against a credible opponent as Washington is. Um, they were ranked literally a week ago. They had an out, a bad outing against Montana, but they were literally just ranked last week. Uh, I know it's preseason, but regardless. It's a, it's a big game. This game's been I've been on the schedule for a couple of years. We were supposed to go out there late last year. COVID obviously canceled that game. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one. So to win in the manner in which we won, you're not going to hear a complaint out of me. But when I start to think about, like, I'm going to go off Harbaugh's, off Harbaugh's quote. What are we doing or what are you doing to beat Ohio State today? I don't think 44 passes or 44 passing yards is going to beat Ohio State. But on the flip side, 340-ish rushing yards probably would beat Ohio State. Or at least it'd be a good game. So um, ultimately, I'm cool with the game plan as long as it's game plan specific, like Belichick style. Like, this is how I know we'll beat them. So that's what we're going to do, period. I don't care if you think we're going to pass it 25 times. We're not going to today. We're only going to we're only going to run it because that's what we practice. That's what we know is going to beat them. I'm cool with that. But at the same token, somebody made a really good point. Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Alabama, their quarterbacks come week five or six are already going to have well into 200 pass attempts. So if they get behind, for instance, let's just go with Ohio State's quarterback. I think he has now thrown over 100 pass attempts in two games, okay? If they get behind in week four, he's already had the experience passing the football at this point. He's got over 100-plus pass attempts, right? Mm -hmm. Cade McNamara's got, what, 35 through two games? It's not enough. Mm -hmm. I do do agree there when somebody pointed that out. It's like, yeah, you you make a solid point. You do need to get these quarterbacks reps, especially because Cade just started his – Get ready. His third game. That's it. I mean, he does have limited action. But, uh, again, I don't want to get too much into it. I think I'm going to live this season one game at a time, as I've been trying to tell myself, not trying to get too ahead of, not try to get too ahead of myself, not try to look forward to Wisconsin, just try to take it as uh, 
this week's North Northern Illinois, and you got to beat that team because unfortunately, every team needs to be treated like Ohio State. Play to your best, beat whoever you can, um, do everything you can to win. So, uh, let's talk about the rushing attack, though. Obviously, these are uh, names that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. If you've been listening. Uh, these names are going to sound awfully familiar because they've been fantastic. Blake Corum, 21 carries for 171 yards and three touchdowns. He also is the leading receiver. He had three catches for 11 yards. And then Hassan Haskins, who I've been preaching about now for a year and a half, 27 carries, 155 yards, one touchdown. As I said, the team rushed for 343 total, but that's majority of that was those two gentlemen. What do you have to say about Blake? What do you have to say about Haskins? What do you have to say about the rotation in which we are using? I absolutely love it. We finally have now kind of a one-two punch, and we don't really have that that four or five uh, bipolar disease that we had last year. And uh, obviously, we've we've beaten that with a dead horse, but or like a dead horse. But with Blake Corum, I mean. Uh, He's touched the rock less uh, in, in rushing attempts than Hassan, you know, 21 to 27. But uh, obviously a little more explosive Saturday. Um, busted off a 67-yarder after, um, what was it? Um, there was a fake punt. Yeah, so they got the fake punt, and then they bu- and then he busted that to the house. But yeah. uh, you know, Hassan Haskins, still pretty, I mean, still efficient. I mean, not, both these guys are efficient, but Blake Corm right now just seems to be exploding through the hole. And I'm trying to figure out who I can compare him to, whether it's a Michigan, a former Michigan running back or someone in the college drink somewhere. And, you know, I don't think he's got the shiftiness like a J.K. Dobbins, but he's got the, the physical attributes of J.K. Dobbins. And he kind of looks like he's got the speed of him. And, uh, when he did bust off that long run, man, he was literally almost untouched. Um, so, dude is obviously uh, emerging um, to be um, a, a good a good player down the road, um, and probably going to be the eventual number one uh, running back on the team. And we had Diamond Edwards, obviously that five star coming in. He got the ball one time for four. Um, so obviously he still has to earn his time. He's still uh, going to be playing behind these two if they're going to operate like this. Um, so yeah, no complaints there. I mean, truly this is going to show you, you know, Diamond Edwards, the five-star running back, you know, week one, he takes a few carries, but it was a much larger margin of victory going into the, the fourth quarter and stuff. Um, this week he takes one carry. There's a reason for that. These two have been outstanding is the only word I have for them. Uh, this week, I think Harbaugh listened to the pod because he gave Hassan the majority of the handoffs. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, Blake Corum was better. I personally believe that one of the reasons Blake Corum has been so successful is because Hassan is a bruiser. He's such a physical runner. He runs tall in the, in the pocket, runs through tackles. And then next thing you know, after you're worn out and you've been taking on Hassan for five and a half yards of carry, Blake comes in, he just bursts one off. It just, he's too fast. He's too shifty. Um, I absolutely love the one-two punch. I still believe that this is a, um, the bulk of the load needs to go to Hassan and set up the big play for Blake and, and set up the passing game with Blake too, which he has been exceptional in. And 
I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself again. I'm going one week at a time, but this could very much be a Barry Sanders type season where he is the backup and it just, you know, comes into that thing where he's the guy, you know, Barry Sanders obviously backed up Thurman Thomas in college. So it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare the two, but Blake Corum has been, he's been special and I didn't think he would be. I thought this would be 100% Hassan's show, but I'm glad Hassan hasn't backed off because Blake's obviously been the absolute MVP star, whatever you want to call him. And for me, the number one factor in all this is Mike Hart. I don't get the coincidence. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. That was a home run hire, and yeah, his his fingerprints uh, are all over it. Yeah, I, I think that's that is so huge. And if this team does continue to have success, which I hope they do, and it looks like they're going to have some sort of success this year, well, their their record that'll come as it comes, and what happens with you know their rivalry games, but it looks like this team right now is going to have success against people because they just it seems like they're they're hungry and they want it. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about obviously Cade McNamara. We just kind of touched on that as far as the game plan goes. There's not a whole lot to add. He really had one pass to Cornelius Johnson. The rest were just little small dink and dunks, nothing nothing to really go on. Defensively, though, not a shocker. Aiden Hutchinson's huge, two and a half sacks. Uh, Josh Ross, 11 tackles. They did t- try to test us through the air. It's something that I think a lot of teams are going to try and do based off solely off last year because this year's we, we've looked pretty good. Uh, their quarterback, Morris, those 37 t- or 37 times for just shy of 300 yards, but only one touchdown in a low QBR. What did you think uh, as far as the defensive effort? Um, defensive effort was was phenomenal. Um, you know, Washington played them tough in the first half, and it wasn't really till uh, the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it garbage time, but uh, with uh, Washington uh, had some timely throws, and um, you know, uh, I thought. You know, I still think that Washington's best players, um, or Giles Jackson, the, the Michigan transfer, and Kate Otten are tight end. And I know uh, Bynum, I think Tyrese or Tyrell Bynum went off and 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 in the fourth quarter, really. But um, you know, the thing the defense did obviously great pressure on, on line. You know, Aiden Hutchinson making huge plays again. You know, two and a half. Uh, tackles for a loss, uh, three solo, four uh, four total tackles. So um, he got in the pocket. Uh, Josh Ross, the beginning of the opening or the opening uh, part of the game, uh, Washington gets the uh, delay of game penalty from the crowd, and then Josh Ross uh, completely just annihilates Newton, the running back, and yeah. right there that that those two insinuating uh, actions right there really set the tone for the rest of the game. Um, again. With Bynum going off, I mean, Vincent Gray and uh, the freshman corner, I can't think of, I can't remember the freshman quarter who it was, number 19, but uh, I know he, Bynum beat him in the fourth quarter, and Aiden Hutchinson, the senior captain he is, went over there, lifted his chin up, and, man, with your corner back in college in the NFL, you have to have a short-term memory, and uh, I don't think that's going to phase these guys at all. They, I mean, 10 points is 10 points, and uh, when you're holding a team to – uh, 50 rush yards. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I mean, I know Dylan Morris uh, did 293 in the air, threw the ball 37 times. Um, 
little inaccurate, even though he didn't throw an interception. You know, last week versus Montana, he threw three picks, almost had four. I thought Michigan would have at least gotten him twice in the interception category, but, I mean, it is what it is. It made him uncomfortable the whole time, though. So, uh, 20 completions or not, um, I don't think it's nothing to really uh, be concerned about just yet. Yeah, I, I definitely don't have any uh, any issue with with almost 300 yards passing when you throw it 37 times and you're just, you're just a hair above 50%. I think anytime you can take a, a, a power five school and hold them to 10 points, the defensive effort was there and it's good enough to uh, live another day. So you won't hear us. One more thing too is uh, uh, during the broadcast, I had to watch the highlights because obviously when we were tailgating, he couldn't really pay attention to what they were saying, but uh, sorry, in the third quarter, Washington was pushing the ball and Michigan uh, and held them to a field goal. And I think at that point they said that uh, they've had Washington had 19 consecutive trips without a score. So um, I think when uh, they stopped them there, I really think you you saw that Michigan um, is a different defense. And I know Washington is not uh, so far in these first two games, you know, uh, Oregon or something like that, you know, or you know, stab, you know, barn uh, barn burners. But again. When at or called upon, they uh, Michigan performed. Sorry, no, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I was just basically gonna. I was kind of uh, sifting, sifting through and just saying like the defense against a power five school, ten points, fifty percent completions, uh, under a hundred rush yards. I'm never gonna complain. I just football's football's too difficult these days. And when you beat a good team, you beat a good team. You know this. This isn't uh, Mercer who Alabama played this weekend, this is Washington. Um, we can be happy with this win and we can move on and and uh, definitely appreciate the defensive effort going into Northern Illinois. You know, this is the second week in a row, you know, where Michigan, they play a game and there's, there's not a whole lot of negatives that come from this game. But um, every week we kind of do the good, the bad, and what we want to see more of. What was what was something that you liked this week that was good? Uh, well, it was very brief, and it was only for one play. But I even made a comment when we were watching the game. I liked the Jake Moody 52-yard kick. Granted, you're at home. The pressure's still on. And he showed that he had plenty of leg after 52 yards to sink it in. And obviously last year, uh, um, Quinn Ordeen was more of the uh, Sebastian Janikowski, and, and uh, Moody was more of the – the short game, but he proved that he can hit those deep ones, and I was happy with that. Yeah, Jake Moody has been – he's really been really good over the last two years, really. I mean, he's been um, a bright spot in the kicking game that Michigan hasn't really had in the last 10 years. They've had, you know, perks. But um, one thing that I liked, and we kind of already talked about it, but I, I do feel like it uh, was probably the highlight of the weekend, was the participation in the maze out in the in the, the crowd. and um, a true home field environment to set the tone for what we hope to be a positive year coming off of a winless um, home home season last year. So huge. Uh, I thought that it, it, it was so good that it needed to be on the good to this week. Uh, what do you got for the bad? Um, for the, I mean, just nitpicking like we kind of alluded to earlier. Um, 
just not enough passing. Like I said in the, in the preview for last week, um, I wanted a receiver to emerge or show signs because of Ronnie Bell's injury. Um, so, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And obviously they, they ran they ran with it, no pun intended. So uh, nitpicking there on the passing, but uh, not incredibly that bad. Yeah, I think one thing I will say, only because I was going to say the exact same thing, so I'm going to kind of twist it a little bit. If you're not going to pass, that's fine. You you got to let some receivers carry the ball. Wide receiver versus which worked in week one. We had two successful, one for 40, one for like 74. Um, there were some big-name recruits at the game over the weekend, and boy, oh, boy, would I hate to have them back out for the weird – weird chance that they're like, okay, well, maybe Michigan's not going to ever throw it. You know what I mean? It, it sounds right. as you just said. Um, you know, Xavier Worthy, I think he's still up in the air. I don't think he's fully committed to Michigan or anybody yet, right? One of the top uh, no. You know, that's, that's a name that we want to land if you're not going to throw the football. And I understand probably why you just mentioned a second ago. First game without Ronnie Bell, he's the focal point of that offense going into this season, one of the focal points. And he wasn't there. So, you know, Harbaugh's probably not trying to force it in these young kids' hands. He's trying to work it in. That's fine. Let him carry the ball. Get him involved. Um, even screens. That's a run. Bill Belichick will say an successful screen is a run play. Um, I wish I would have seen that. So I guess that's the bad, if I'm, again, being nitpicky, because I think Michigan has looked cool through two games. Something you want to see more of? Um. I wanted to see just you just pointed out a little bit. I want to see more of execution on screenplays. They did like two or three of them that uh, went for negative yards or just uh, didn't connect on them. Uh, I think one was to to quorum, but I want to see more of that. And um, you know, even uh, real quick, even with John Harbaugh or uh, yeah, John Harbaugh in Baltimore with the Ravens, the Harbaughs they kind of have a similar philosophy. Like even though. Um, they rely on the run a lot. You know, they'll still pass it, you know, but uh, this, <laughs> the, even with John in Baltimore, you got Lamar Jackson, he's going to utilize his strengths. And so, um, but again, with these, the screens just wanted more uh, execution. Yeah. One thing that uh, I want to see more of that I've been just sort of small, you know, kind of picking up on. So week one, I forget the score, but Michigan went for and they brought in a backup quarterback, which we didn't talk about last week. Um, big physical white kid. Remember his Dan name? Dan Valari. Dan Valari. And they, they, it didn't work, but they ran kind of an option play with him, tried to do a power run, kind of like old Tebow-style play. Aggressive, unique. Um, I liked it. This week, the fake punt. Did we need the fake punt? 31-10 will tell you no, but at the time, I was all for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, way to show, way to flex, way to way to grow some balls, show them we're here to battle, and do I think, do I want that to happen in week three? I mean, obviously, I'd love to win 50-0, to zero and we don't need that, but be aggressive. I like these plays mm -hmm. that, that we seem to be using, even if it's one, maybe if it's two. Um, I want to see more of that. I think any time that you can give your team is sparking something that's out of the box. It can only be good. Right. And I don't think, uh, sorry, I don't think uh, Jim was necessarily doing it 
to prove a point to this one specific player, but I did read that a Washington linebacker, uh, I think their captain linebacker, and if he's captain, doesn't matter, uh, was saying in the media that they were determined to stop Michigan's run game, and they were gonna, they were adamant about focusing on that. And so I don't, I mean, Jim Harbaugh is very mindful and be kind of like you know back in the day with the tweets with Nick Saban, he's very. Yeah. Uh, very aware of his surroundings, and so I don't think his whole game plan changed during the week because he heard that. But I bet you, at one point, either him or some of the coaches, maybe even some of the players, had a little grin on their face, like, "Yeah, look at us now," you know. Especially because it, it it got to a point, and I, I said this, you know, talking with you know the, who we were watching the games with. You can be upset that Michigan didn't throw the ball, and I I would almost agree with you, like, hey, we need to try and mix it in. But there is some sort of ego and effectiveness in being proud, and if the other team knows you're going to run it, and you run it, and you get first downs, mm. I'm sorry, you you broke them. Like, you're, you're right. better keep doing it and that's obviously what Harbaugh did I think he probably got to a point where maybe the passing was in the game plan but mm-hmm. after a certain point he's like they literally can't stop us why why give in why bail right. passing the no let's just run it down their throats run the clock out and head home we already lost Ronnie Bell why why do something that's unnecessary and Michigan fans I think it's very easy to lose sight obviously you know, they. if we win that game by three, maybe nobody says anything. You know, mm-hmm. oh, we won it. Who cares? But because we were blowing them out, it's like, well, pass it. No, no, just relax. Just relax. Right. You know, or, that was... That was God uh, forbid that was we throw big... it in the fourth quarter and somebody gets hurt. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, then it'd be like, why aren't you running the ball still? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that was Michigan's big problem in 2015. You know, that was... A good, a good reason um, that played into them losing to uh, Michigan State at home. The block punt, that block punt doesn't happen if Michigan can successfully run the ball. Michigan State knows you're running the ball, and their defense was better than Michigan's offensive line. But her U of M that season, I mean, Davion Smith was successful because he was a battering ram. But your yeah. body can only take so much, and so. That's part of the reason why. And so, again, Jim Harbaugh is now at the point where he, if he's going to deal with that, yeah, chew on it. Yeah. Uh, that pretty much wraps up Washington. Let's go into Northern Illinois here. Northern Illinois has coming. Uh, week one, they beat Georgia Tech on the road, 2-1 in a close game. This week, hosting Wyoming, they lost 43-50. to Um. And Wyoming punched one in with a minute and 35 to go. So literally, um, Northwestern, Northwestern, sorry, Northern Illinois has been in both of their games this year. Um, this game's at noon. Michigan obviously is uh, is ranked 25 this week, which we'll talk about rankings here in a little bit. But we both predicted this as a Michigan win. Nothing's probably changing. But what would you like to see in this game? Um. To get uh, revenge on little Rocky Lombardi here, uh, I honestly, uh, until uh, doing prep for the pod, I didn't, I forgot that he even transferred to Northern Illinois, and um, 
You know, so far he's got three touchdowns and three picks, so they're definitely airing the ball out. And um, so I'm looking to get revenge on him, you know, being a little uh, curmudgeon than I am. But um, I just want to see no injuries get out of this unscathed. Uh, I want to see first half control the clock and then uh, hopefully get some more playing time for McCarthy. I mean, that's pretty simple of what I want to see. I mean, other than – obviously playing in all three phases well, but that's, I mean, that's for me, that'll, that'll get my juices flowing. Yeah. For me, it's continue to milk the game plan of, of dominate the run game. Um, feed Corum, feed Haskins, continue to assert yourself on the offensive line and throw the ball. But if it's unneeded, don't, don't give away too much. You know, obviously there is, does need to come a point where Cade McNamara does need to get some pass attempts under his belt. Um, whether that be in a competitive, you know, that's zero zero, or if it's, you know, we're up 28 to zero, get, get Cade some throws, uh, make sure he can make them. Cause if you need to go to JJ, obviously we don't want to make sure that's happening on the road at camp Randall in two weeks, three weeks. So two and a half weeks, whatever it is. Um, don't have a ton to add to this game without, uh, without it being played, but I do have Michigan winning. Nothing's changed there. Uh, just to confirm, you still have Michigan winning this game, right? Yeah, they're 27 and a half favorites at the moment. And yeah. I, I see this as a three-score game, uh, at least. And, uh, yeah. Cool beans. Let's uh, let's talk about Ohio State a little bit. Um, Ohio State plays Oregon. Oregon comes from west to east. Plays uh, They play on Fox at noon o'clock. There's the big... Um, the big Fox kickoff at noon. And unfortunately that would have been a nine o'clock start for Oregon. It didn't seem to matter. Oregon played big and physical was able to move Ohio state around. Uh, CJ Strode, he threw for almost 500 yards in the game. Unfortunately, that was not the game plan that Ohio state, I don't think wanted. And Oregon wins. What did you think? Obviously we're, we were out on the golf course paying attention as much as we could. I'm not sure how much you've gotten to look into this one, but what did you think? Um, I predicted that Ohio State would win by 14 points. Um, so when at one point, when the, I mean, was it the first time we flipped the game on? I think Oregon was up by two or three scores, and I was kind of shocked, honestly. I know Oregon is good. They were missing some key players on, I think, both sides of the ball, right? And uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, offensively, yeah. Oregon looks – they look like old Chip Kelly offense. I mean, they they run the ball well, and they run with two backs and their quarterback, and then the quarterback um, now 17-35, kind of whatever. But, I mean, 236, two touchdowns, and they didn't turn the ball over at all, right? So, um, I mean, you can't really complain there. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud – 484. Obviously, they had to rely on catch-up play there, so obviously his stats were inflated in that department. But the run game on paper, and if they won, Ohio State did pretty well, averaging uh, 4.1 between three runners. And you know, if you talk to some Ohio State fans and some of the analysts, you know, they they said that they weren't really impressed with the run game. Um, they wanted, they need more from it. But uh, in the in the passing, obviously coming down from it. Olave got his E8. Didn't score, but E8. Um, and then um, Jackson Smith, 
Nahiba goes off for 145 and two scores. So Ohio State, uh, their defense looks like a, a liability at the moment. Um, they're not saying like they're all, they're obviously still the best team in the Big Ten, but um, you know last year they had they were a little vulnerable in the secondary, and it looks like on the defensive line, Oregon at least Saturday took care of them uh, and did what they wanted. Yeah, the one thing I, I will say about Ohio State is I don't, and I know they have a ton of great receivers. They, they, I mean, they literally have enough receivers to give everybody in the Big Ten one and still have great receivers. I mean, they're that loaded at wide receiver. But I can't imagine that they thought to themselves, hey, let's come out and pass it 54 times. There's no way that was the game plan. Um, because that would have been a bad game plan. And and truthfully, Ryan Day, till this day, no no pun intended, um, he's lost to, get ready, Alabama, Clemson, Oregon. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. He has yet to lose a Big Ten game. So I'm not even going to come at him and tell, you know, come over here and say that he doesn't know what he's doing uh, because he clearly does know what he's doing. But I was just taken back. I just didn't think that this is first. This isn't the way Ohio State wants to attack anyone. They don't want to throw it 54 times. Ask Ryan Day that right now. He'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, Oregon, unfortunately, you know, they threw it 35 times (laughs) and ran it 38 times. So a lot more success, well, more, uh, a lot more balanced. Um, Ohio State became kind of one-dimensional, even though they did run it a bunch, too. They actually ended up getting, let's see here, 31 carry. I mean, they carried it a ton. They ran a ton of plays. Unfortunately, it just kind of ran out. And, uh, you know, as you said, you know, Lave came and he ate. Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson, he scored. They're two big dogs. And then this, this Smith Najiba, I think I just destroyed his name, but he came out and had a huge game. Um, I think Ohio State's going to be all right, uh, Big Ten-wise. Uh, this is, weirdly enough, this is the Ohio State that I predicted three years ago. I thought that after losing Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins in one off season, that they would actually be um, not mediocre by any means, but as a, okay, we're going to lose some games. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Ryan Day came in, and, and then came Justin Fields. And Justin Fields was way better than I thought. And they never did a lot of losing. It makes me wonder, you know, I'm not saying Michigan's beating them. I'm not sitting here making that prediction right now. We'll talk about that come November. But from what I've seen of Ohio State this in these two games, are they winning the Big Ten? Probably. Are they unbeatable? No, they're not. I thought this team was going to run the table. I think they might have another loss on their schedule. Where? I don't know. I'm not going to work into that as it comes down to it, but um, I don't think the quarterback that is playing either, first off, he doesn't have the attention of the fans because there's, you know, five-star, is it is it Quinn? Is that his name? Quinn Ewers? Quinn Ewers, yep. You know, I... Half the fan base has already turned to him mentally, physically, whatever you want to call it. But it wouldn't shock me if he found his way on the field later in this year, especially if if Ohio State loses again. I can't see 
I can't see Ryan Day taking multiple losses. I can't see that being okay for him. Right. Now, now, honestly, though, like, is that where Ohio State's program's at? I mean, obviously, they're they're SEC North right now. But, um, I mean, C.J. Stroud's second game as a starter against number 12 Oregon, you know. And, I mean, he dropped. It's not solely on him. Again, obviously, the defense is the one giving it up. And he he threw 54 times. A lot of that was in the second half to play catch-up. Or, I mean, even the second uh, quarter they were down. So, um, I'm not... If I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm not completely like throwing a towel on CJ Stroud. I know they're loaded from, you know, ass to ass to mouth, but I mean, I mean, I can just take it easy, you know. I mean, and you know, Ohio State fans, you know, in 2011, uh, even in 2012, they went undefeated in 2012, and you know, people were pissed that their games were close, and you know, some. Some are realistic and they're not a-holes, but a lot of them, I mean, it's that adversity hits and it's like, you're just overreacting. Um, I mean, you're not going to win by 45 points every game and, you know, losses do come, you know, and it sucks to say like we're used to it, but uh, I mean, there's no need to panic again. This is not even big 10 conference yet. And, you know, uh, plenty of teams get into the college football playoff with one, maybe two losses. And, the committee or how the committee uh, sees everything is like, you know, that conference, um, that conference championship. I mean, I guess depending on the year, because there's been some controversy, but I'm like, you win the conference championship and you're Ohio State. I mean, you're kind of grandfathered in that top four. So just hold your horses. Something bad. You got two, two cupcakes coming up. I think you'll be okay. Yeah. I think Ohio State has more than enough to, to make an additional run. At, uh, at at getting into the final four, but Joe Clatt, this is out of his mouth. I I respect the shit out of Joe Clatt. I think he's one of the best in the game right now. Um, especially just talking, being unbiased, talking about um, and defending the Big Ten. I think that he does not let them just get pushed around as far as media goes. He said Ohio State's loss to Oregon at home was bad loss. I don't know. If he says that, I, I typically try to understand why, because I, I don't think he just, he's not one of those guys that comes out with hot takes and that's how he gets noticed. He gets noticed from hard work and respectable takes. So I thought that was interesting. They said it's a bad loss. I mean, I, I mean, from ranking comparison, maybe, but in my opinion, like it's like, obviously a loss is never a good thing, but it's not, I mean, if Oregon goes on to win the Pac-12 and they make a, uh, make in conversation for post uh, postseason, you know, accolades and and talk, I mean, like, who knows? We be might be looking at this right now where you know Oregon and Ohio State somehow find their way into the top four. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I agree. Joel Klatt is one of the best in the game. I like him a lot because you know it's kind of be it's a little. Um, a little satire, a little, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek when he goes on Colin Cowherd and they kind of make fun of each other. But, you know, it, for the most part, uh, it's just – this is smoke to, on, on my end. It's like, who cares? Uh, obviously, they're beating Tulsa this week. Do you disagree? Yeah, as I said, the next two games, you're taking dubs. Uh, so, you'll, you'll, pad, you'll pad the record. You'll be uh, – It'll be three and one, and then you'll be looking for the next one. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit of 
college football in general, top 25 here. Um, I'm going to go down the, the rankings here. We're not going to talk about every single team, but we're going to talk about some big movers and, and some people that have been uh, mainstays. Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, all two and zero, sitting on top of uh, on top of the nation here. Georgia and Alabama get first place votes. What do you think about that ranking? Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma. Is that that just about right? Somebody need moved? Yeah, it's uh, it's solid until further notice to me. Uh, got a couple of new uh, new heads here in the game. Not that they're unfamiliar, but this is just. You know, we've had a lot of the same teams in the top five or six for so long that some of these teams, it just seems weird. Uh, Oregon climbs up eight spots after beating Ohio State to number four. Iowa, after beating Iowa State, climbs up five spots. And then you have Clemson at one and one. What do you think there? Well, Oregon moves up uh, eight spots, which is obviously a huge launch. Uh, part of that reason is Texas A&M having a close battle with Colorado. They fall back to... Cincinnati wins, but they fall back one. Ohio State falls back six. So they had a, Oregon had a little uh, give and take there, which is fine. I have no argument there. Now in the uh, AP and the coaches poll, uh, they def- they don't agree with Iowa. And it's again, it's only two spots, but Iowa seven coaches five uh, AP. So um, I see that. I see. That. I'm, gonna, I'm keeping an eye on the Hawkeyes and UCLA right there is two and zero. They Got two nice wins so far. They're creeping up the ladder. And then, obviously, with Iowa beating Iowa State, they fall back. So, um, this weekend, I'll have to look at the slate on what it it looks like. We have any top ten or five uh, games coming up. But um, um, more shakeup could happen. What do you think about Notre Dame? Uh, They're 2-0 on the year. But Ah, a very narrow win on the road at Florida State. And then a very narrow win at home against the University of Toledo. They dropped four spots. Too low, too high, right? They're at 12. Where do you like them at? Well, I mean, can't disagree with it. You're at home against Toledo. And, you know, I don't, whether Toledo and the MAC is considered poised for a solid year or not, like, uh, you know, Michigan lost <laughs> to Toledo before. So when you're, when you're, when you're in the top, 10 man and you look that bad and you, and it's, you squeak it out in the final moments you know dropping four spots it's gonna happen yeah um a couple other ones here before we before we jump off so we have VTech beating north carolina they're in at 14 iowa state drops five spots at a uh, i'm sorry they're at 14 iowa state's at 14 dropping five spots virginia tech's at 15 uh, Arizona State moves to 2-0. and They're up 14 spots at 19. North Carolina jumps back up after being ranked 10th, losing opening day, winning week two. They jump up three spots. Miami dropping down a couple of spots. Uh, and then Michigan makes their debut. Any teams that you see moving up or down that I just named or, or, or another one if you have them? Uh, after week three here? Yeah, just in general, I guess, over the course of the season, is there anybody that you're just like, ah, that's a short-term thing? Um, Auburn travels to Penn State this weekend, correct? Absolutely. That one is a uh, – that's a whiteout. That's a big okay. game. Okay. Those so, are ranked, so it's 22. I think if, 
over. I 10. think if Auburn wins that game, I think Auburn jumps into close to the top 15. They might make a big jump. Obviously, they'll yeah. have to have help in front of them because a lot of the teams that are in front of Auburn right now all jumped. But uh, I mean, that Penn yeah, State-Auburn game is going to be huge. Yeah, so Penn State beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin's at 18. If Auburn yeah. beats Penn State, no matter what, Penn State's got to be above Wisconsin, and mm-hmm. Auburn's got to be above them. I think Auburn would shoot up into the top 10. Mm-hmm. It almost mm-hmm. happens. Right. Especially and if Penn, if Penn State wins, yeah. Right. And if Penn State wins, I think they could be – they might even get pushed to seven. I don't know. Yeah, UCLA's been doing their jumping, too, after uh, decimating LSU, who's no longer in the top. So watch out for Miami also. So number 24 Miami this week is home against Michigan State, who's 2-0 and has looked fairly decent throughout uh, their first two games. Watch out for that one as well. And then obviously we, we like Michigan to continue moving up, and they got two easier opponents on the horizon with Northern Illinois and then Rutgers. So nothing to really uh, – to really get us up into the top 15 or so, but they'll be able to probably get up a spot or two. Obviously let's hope Wisconsin stays um, winning over the next two games so that we can have a top 25 matchup with them. Who's currently at 18. Well, that's all I have for, for top 25. That's all I have for Michigan. That's all I have for Ohio state. Anything else you want to add? No, uh, other than um, I know, Today, Urban Meyer flat out said no chance, but uh, that USC job, they obviously fired Clay Halton. That spot's wide open. There's been talk for Eric Bean and me from uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, but, you know, Urban Meyer, you know, bit of he's a bit of a spark plug. He kind of likes to jump around the league and, and stuff like that. So even though he says no, I think as the Jaguars, you know, Jaguar, I keep an eye on it, even though he said no. I mean, Nick Saban, uh, you know, went out flat out in a media session, says I am not the head coach of you know the Alabama Crimson Tide, and then boom, he he jumps and leaves the next day. So you know, you never know what happens. Yeah, th- that whole thing is really weird. Um, personally, I kind of hope he goes, <laughs> only because there are two teams that. I'm not going to group Michigan into this, but I do think they could be. There's there's probably three teams that college football just needs to be better. USC, Texas, and Miami, Florida. Yep. I think those teams need to just be better. Because I'm not even going to group Michigan in because they've actually been all right mm-hmm. um, in the sense, in the grand scheme of things. Southern Cal, um, the Hurricanes, and Texas have not been – what we know them to be. And those are national championship contenders. And uh, Urban Meyer instantly does that for any of those three teams. If he were to go there, Southern Cal for sure. So, right. And and since the, and since the, you know, early to mid two thousands, I mean, Michigan's been kind of been, been pretty much been better than USC maybe. I mean, I know they had Darnold and then Sanchez, but they've been better than Miami and, when it comes to Texas, outside of Colt McCoy, man, uh, I mean, you want to, if you're a Texas diehard fan, you have some arguments for Sam Ellinger, but I mean, it's been since Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy since 2009, right? So yeah. Texas, again, it's I, been a long time since they've been on top, and it definitely is weird 
not seeing those three to four programs um, we talked about. And so, um, you know, I really hope that Miami turns it around. You know, they're kind of uh, in my closet uh, team just for family's sake. But, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, back on the, the USC before we log off, you know, listening to Colin over the last day or two, he's, he's said a couple things on this, and they make sense. And Joe Klatt today made a really nice couple points, too. They need either one of a few things, and if they're able to get multiple traits out of this person, that'd be great. But they either need some NFL pedigree, they either need an excellent recruiter, or they just need a spark plug. Now, mm-hmm. if this person could be one of two or three of those things, mm-hmm. obviously that would be great. Um, a name that was thrown out that I would... Uh, that I think would be huge. Obviously, Eric Bieniemy would be huge anywhere he goes, and I think that that has potential. I don't know how about the recruiting, but you know, Joe Brady. You know, he's with the Saints, makes himself a household name, coaching up Joe Burrow for uh, Coach Orgeron over at LSU. They have not been the same since he left. Burrow left too, but mm-hmm. he goes to the Panthers, and and the Panthers have had quite a bit of an offense. I don't know. I think Joe Brady would be a nice, uh, a nice piece for them. I've been talking about Joe Brady now for about a year and a half, two years almost. So um, there is talk, so that James Franklin is interested in the spot. That I've seen that today. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Get him out of the Big Ten. That'd be nuts. Yeah, and then yeah, <laughs> that'd be nuts. Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps us up here on this Wednesday night. Yeah, I can't wait for Saturday. Watch Michigan uh, continue to move through the schedule. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. I will see you next time. And go blue. Go blue, buddy. <laughs>